0: Hi, my name is Christine Novotny. I'm in Grand Marais, Minnesota. I am a floor loom weaver. Welcome to Cut the Craft.
1: I just got back from doing some traveling
0: on the East Coast. which was really wonderful. Oh, nice. Is that where you're from? No, I went out and I just, I did like a little textile adventure. So I Oh. Went to a Swedish weaving school out there. And then um, I have a a mentor in growing and processing bast fibers that um, <gasps> is out in that area. So I got to spend some time with her, which was really fun. And And then I like cold called a bunch of other weavers and... Went out to their places like in Northern Vermont, which wow. was awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. And then I went to the Lowell Textile Mills, which is in Massachusetts, which like everybody from that area is like, cool. I went there in
2: second grade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: I'm like,
2: well, wow, I drove three
0: hours to go on an electric trip. <laughs>
2: But that's always good, though, because there's nothing like a tourist to help you understand what you really have right at your fingertips. So I hope that they felt a new sense of appreciation for what was right on their desk.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Like you had the first factory city in the United States. Oh, what? Responsible for industrial revolution. Like, (laughs) oh. Yeah, yeah. You didn't pick that up in sixth grade, did you? (laughs) That's crazy.
2: Can you imagine the ghosts? There must just be... they're pissed. So many angry ghosts there. (laughs) So many angry ghosts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're ready. They're ready to come back and tell us what's up. Oh, man.
2: Well, uh, welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian. And I'm Amy. And we are here with Christine Novotny, a floor loom weaver out of Grand Marais, Minnesota. Christine, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Christine, for someone who's unfamiliar with uh, floor loom weaving, can you describe what you make? And then maybe for people who are within the field of weaving, can you uh, go in a little bit more depth?
0: Yeah. So, um, there's many, many different ways to weave. Uh, It is just the interlacement of warp and weft, Mm. and one of the ways to do that is on a floor loom, which is a machine that. I operate, and a floor loom helps give control to um, which warp threads, so the the vertical threads running on a piece of cloth, which warp threads are raised and which are lowered, and that determines how much warp or weft you see, and that's how we create all of the beautiful patterns in weaving, which Hmm. can be really exponential. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I primarily work on a floor loom. I make utilitarian items so things that are meant to be used in the home or on the body Uh, my work is really colorful that's where most of my interest in weaving lies is color interaction Um, which is just (laughs) yeah there's there's so many ways to go in weaving Um, i come from a painting background and so that uh that really shows up in my woven work um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, weaving on these really traditional tools. Weaving itself is, I don't even know if you can date it. It's very old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Folks figured it out across the world pretty early. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm in that like long lineage of tradition. And I also would put myself in a more contemporary craftsperson, um, an artist, uh, place within that like big wide Mm -hmm. world of weaving Mm
4: -hmm. um i
0: yeah doing it on traditional tools working with a lot of traditional patterns working with natural materials and really trying to figure out new things within the craft and and keep it contemporary and keep people interested um, Mm -hmm. and keep hand weaving relevant today
2: (laughs) cool so
3: you you mentioned that uh, part of your background is in painting. How do you think that, how does that influence like your use of color in weaving?
0: Yeah, it's like I said, it's what I'm most excited about. I mean, I, I've been painting for longer than I've been weaving. It's something that I've done ever since I was a kid. Uh, I went to Indiana University and I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in painting.
2: Go Hoosiers
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah I loved it there I had amazing professors um and just a little background I I left school and like many people who um have gotten any degree in fine arts was like what the heck am I supposed to do now (laughs) (laughs) like I know how to do all this stuff but like how do I do it well, and, you go
3: become a waitress.
0: Yeah,
2: yep,
0: <laughs> yeah. yep, Slum pizza for a while. Uh,
2: <laughs> Me too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's- yeah, Oh yeah, mother bear's pizza.
2: <laughs> Wait, you worked at mother bear's? Oh
0: yeah, a long
2: time. Oh, so many black <laughs> olives have been ground into that carpet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, you must believe it. Yeah, so I did a lot of other things. Um, I did a lot of education work. I, I got a uh, a minor in outdoor resource management um, and outdoor Mm -hmm. education and so I did a lot of that and I just I wasn't really painting but then I was always kind of feeling bad about it Um, Mm -hmm. you know because I like put so much energy and Mm -hmm. love and and I knew that I had you know skill and talent what I was doing but I just Mm -hmm. I just wasn't painting and Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting excited about it and I got really sick of making paintings and then putting them away and there was something that was becoming lost in the making process where it, it wasn't, I mean, art has function. Absolutely. Like mm-hmm. so much purpose in this world. And I wanted to, but I wanted to be making things that people could like touch and use and, mm. and art that was a little sneakier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like that, you know, which is what design is and, and definitely what cloth is. So I wasn't painting. um and so I, I thought maybe I can like trick myself into getting excited about this again, by doing the same kind of stuff that I was doing in painting, working with color and imagery and some of the same themes, but do them through weaving. And hmm. so I took this floor loom weaving class and like what I wanted to make was tapestry, which is just pictorial images. Um, but I didn't know anything about weaving. So I took this floor loom weaving class and learned that whole process and um yeah. So what I, what I discovered about weaving is that it's very much like painting. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, I, for me, it's all about color interaction. You have these warp and weft threads that are overlaying each other. And so you get these really, really interesting color combinations um, and interactions in woven cloth. And then there's like the yarn itself and um, the fact that that is a three-dimensional object and different fiber has different qualities. Like linen has a lot of luster to it. Wool mm-hmm. is a little bit um, rougher, more Barbie. Like that's just the inherent nature of, of these fibers. And then, you know, if all color comes from light, then how does light or how does like the, the surface of these fibers affect the color that we're seeing and then put them all together Sure. Um it's I mean it's like
2: lot of things to think about. Of course textiles are three dimensional, but a lot of times I think people would think of them more in the two dimensions and so I love that on the scale you're talking about it's like all about those three dimensions and then how they affect that interaction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in painting, I mean painting really taught me how to see color, how to look at the world and and see you know, these three primary colors that we have times a million, like a little bit of this, a little mm-hmm. bit of that gives you this quality and then light at this time of the day or at that time of the day, inside, outside. And so that's that's what really excited me. Um, but in weaving, you, it's not a physical color combination. Like in painting, you're taking two colors and you're mixing them together and they become a new color. Right. Um you don't do that in weaving. You're not like putting all the colors of yarn in a blender and blending them around and like <laughs> dumping them on something. It's it's not this like true combination. It's just this combination that our eyes create when we see an overlay of colors. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then the weave structure, like how much warp or weft you're seeing at the same time, that also influences it. Do colors combine more? Or do they stand out more? Um, and And how can you how can you push that and experiment to get whatever you're looking for to like find the success that I'm trying to find and in, in what I'm making and what i what I'm finding out is that I have, you know, a lifetime to learn all this stuff. Sometimes I think something will work out really well and <laughs> that it won't. And you know, like, huh, interesting. And I give myself tons of room for experimentation and exploring all these different color combinations. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited by like the potential of of color to hold emotion and to like hold surprise and reflect the natural world and be at odds with it. So it's, yeah, it's like a, it is an endless study for me.
2: Wow. I've, I've read, you know, a little, a few other interviews that you've done and things like that. Uh, And I noticed that you had talked some about like natural, dyes in there. Is that largely what you're using as your source of color?
0: It is. I'm doing a lot of natural dye learning and experimentation. And it's not uh it's not my primary source of color. I'm using a lot of stuff that is um is already dyed. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you know, that gives me a much wider range of colors available because we Mm -hmm. are really able to push what we're doing with synthetic colors. We're not Uh you know dependent only on um on what comes from the earth. But what I love about natural dyes is that, you know, of course, they're environmentally much better than a lot of the synthetic dye processes Mm -hmm. that we do. Uh, But also with natural dye, there's a tonality of color, um, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's harder to get it perfectly even. Um, Mm. And a complaint that people have with synthetic dyes is that color starts to fall flat um Mm -hmm. so yeah they're just and I don't necessarily think that uh objectively one is better than the other in terms of working with color Mm -hmm. you can get really interesting effects from both sustainably and environmentally you know there's definitely discussion there but um it's just it's a really different yeah it's a really different quality and one that I'm excited to explore
2: more So is it sort of there's this constant balance with those different means of approaching color in terms of like maybe consistency versus like boringness or like flatness, as you said? Mm -hmm. Like it's harder to get consistent with one, but then at the same time, if you're way too consistent, then it ends up like, you know, just looking real sort of dead almost arcane. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's where combining colors in the warp and the weft, having different colors, even if it's like um, a shade or a tint different, you're still in the same color family. It really, it adds a lot of depth to what you're doing.
2: Cool. So,
3: <laughs> ah, I love colors.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: me too, me too. Um, so can you tell us about your use of experimental proportions? That's something that I'm primarily working on with
0: and within weave structures um so a weave structure is just the way that the the warp and the weft interlace um and like I said before how much warp you're seeing and how much weft you're seeing Mm -hmm. and how I'm treadling how I'm picking up the warp threads on my floor loom determines Mm -hmm. this pattern and there is a a canon of weave structures that just exist from many, many years of people figuring it out and and cultures, um, reusing these weave structures over and over again. And when you set out to make cloth, you can take these structures, a lot of them are recorded in books, um, these drafts, they're called drafts, and you can take them and you can basically like plug it into the loom. I can thread my loom exactly as described in this book. Mm -hmm. um in this weave draft and and get that pattern and I mean they're amazing patterns you wouldn't you don't have to really do anything to them but I mentioned before I'm excited about uh creating something new and and just keeping it interesting and making sure that hand weaving evolves and and Mm -hmm. can remain really relevant to folks so Mm -hmm. I I take those weave structures and you can break them down into like smaller units. um, and you can repeat things, um, small pieces, which then changes the design, you know, repeat a threading over and over again, Mm -hmm. or, um, if it allows like add a different weave structure in or change the units so that instead of a weft going over two or three warp threads, it's going over more. And then that changes the, the quality and of the cloth. So yeah, that's, that's mostly what I mean by the experimental proportions is taking these really amazing drafts um, that we have from a lot of like European and Scandinavian traditions and then Mm -hmm. into like a post-industrial American tradition and, and playing with them so that the, the pattern, so there's something new there in the pattern.
2: For someone who has like no idea, about uh weaving Mm -hmm. this is more or less like manipulating the over-unders of the weaving (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly yeah
0: like weaving is so dang simple i mean it's just like (laughs) the binary doesn't exist but it totally exists in floor loom weaving. (laughs) (laughs) It's like warp up or warp down.
2: Uh
0: And so, yeah, like how many warp threads go up versus down? You know, when you think of the warp threads lifting, it creates the shed and opening between warp threads. Mm. And then you send your weft through. And then when you close that shed, all those warp threads that were up are now covering up that weft. And so you're seeing warp instead. And just in in each um, shot, each weft thread that you're throwing through the warp, um you're treadling often a different combination of those warp threads lifting. And yeah, and so that's how
2: it dang that's how it all
0: works together. I know. Dang.
2: Cool. <laughs> dang it. Not like dang it, but like dang. Yeah. Um, well, I love too all the just like the cool words that weaving gets to use too, like shuttles and warps and whiffs.
0: Yeah. Heavy vocabulary. <laughs>
3: North House Folk School teaches traditional craft on the shores of Lake Superior. Learn weaving and fiber arts of all sorts alongside woodworking, blacksmithing, and more. Courses for early 2022 will open on September 9th. Check out all the new courses and scholarship options. They're also accepting applications for 2022. Check out northhouse.org to learn more.
2: At John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina, applications have now opened for their work study, student host, and artist in residence programs. For more information on these programs and how to get involved, visit folkschool.org. The Folk School has also released their January through June 2022 class catalog. To receive a print version, visit folkschool.org and click the tab Request a Catalog. What are those sort of patterns that you're – I mean, uh, hold on. Let me gather myself because I always ask really rambly questions and I don't (laughs) want to do that. I want to get to the point this time. (laughs) I'm tired of editing my questions down to like what I actually meant to say way after the fact.
0: (laughs) Yeah, collect yourself.
2: What do you got? Here we go. Okay. So I guess like what are those different patterns kind of like mean to you? Is it more of a, a visual changes just to keep it, as you said, visually interesting? Or are there also kind of like themes that you're working with and meditating on as you're making a piece?
0: It's pretty intuitive. I would say it's mostly visual. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, what about this strikes me? I mean, weaving is on this grid. Everything is at uh, 90 degree angles, technically. Mm-hmm. But the way by lifting up different warp threads, you can create you can create something that looks more organic. Things that mm. look like circles and curves. Mm. Um, you can bend weft by putting different size weft in in combination with thinner weft, and and get mm. some like really interesting textural elements. So, yeah, it's it's exploring that. Um, like lately, I've been tending toward a lot more geometric patterns uh, which obviously work really well with weaving all <laughs> of the the and angles <laughs> sure. um but you know exploring how how can I get lightness in that or like breath or um yeah take something that when I think about things that are blocky I think about them being kind of heavy right um mm. And rigid, mm-hmm. and I've done some really interesting experiments lately where I'm, I yeah, I'm able to like add in this lightness um, to Ooh. something that in my head feels very different than that.
3: I was just gonna ask how you're doing that then, like how how it's an interesting like translation of of like feeling into your weaving. And so what is the technical element that you're manipulating to, to make, to create that feeling? Um,
0: Mostly it's been in material, material Uh and the weight of material. Hmm. Um, So for example, I just did this run of table runners and I did a commission that was, she wanted something geometric and something that was black and white. And so I did um, a cotton warp and I used cotton weft and linen weft and I did this technique called supplementary weft where I'm using two shuttles one of them is just weaving plain weave so over under over under over under like really solid and stable cloth structure Mm -hmm. and then my next shot so the next series or like treadle that I'm pressing down is opening up shafts that um give a lot of space between the weft threads that are opening and i can overlay um my pattern weft which in this case was this black linen over that and then i'm creating these blocks where i'm seeing a lot of that like dark pattern weft, and so for my first couple, I always put a lot of warp on because setting up the loom takes a really long time. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: So I did um, I did the first one, which was really blocky. And I doubled the linen. So I was weaving with two strands of linen rather than one, the thicker linen. And so when I beat and when I'm weaving, all of that linen starts to build up on itself. And mm-hmm. you can't really see any space between it it turns into, like I was saying before, just these kind of heavy blocks that Mm -hmm. also are popping up a bit from that plain weave ground that they're on. Mm -hmm. And so you get this, like, heavy mass of color. And then I did another table runner after that that used colors that were a lot lighter. Um, So I had this white warp, and I used, um, like, a lavender linen weft. And... Um, A natural linen weft, so light brown, and then this mossy green color. And the thread was really thin for these supplementary weft. So that part that's kind of jumping over um, the cloth, the bits of plain weave. And because it was so thin... It wasn't building up in that same way where it's just this massive color, all these linen threads touching. It Mm -hmm. instead kind of had this, it had space because it wasn't being held in by all of these other warp threads. It had space to kind of curl and twist and you could see that white behind it. And so it just didn't look so heavy. It looked like it, it kind of looked more like the material was able to do what it does. Like it was linen. It sh- had a beautiful shine to it and this luster mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was thin. And so it moved a little bit more.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost it's, like it was backlit or something like it was. Exactly. Held yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. And so that's just, that's an excellent example of um, really why it matters to experiment and mm-hmm. to like, work iter- iteratively oh that's a tough one iteratively <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's an interesting thing about weaving on a floor loom too is you you set yourself up with these parameters they're just baked in to what you're mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. Uh, right when you warp the loom up and then and then that's where you step in as like the weaver and the artist and how can I manipulate these parameters to get different effects
2: I I really like that you brought up that concept of iteration because in our The last interview we just conducted with um, Aspen Golan, who's a woodworker down in Penland right now, Mm. and she was telling us about kind of these ideas of iteration needing to be really low in order for some, like the cost of iteration should be pretty low in order for it to like stay fun, Mm. (laughs) I guess, kind of, (laughs) and so I was wondering sort of how that plays into weaving because as you said there's so much labor involved with setting it up so then once you start weaving is that how do you keep a low cost of iteration or can you yeah
0: so like the warp is in its heddles and I've already decided that bit of it and mm-hmm. unless I you know cut it off and rethread the heddles that's what I'm that's what I have that right. to work with mm-hmm. And whenever I do a weaving, especially if it's something that's new, um, I always put extra warp on. I often plan my warp. So obviously I know what kind of pattern I'm doing and I know what colors I'm using and I know where stripes are gonna lie within that pattern. Um, And I might have an idea of what I'm gonna use for the weft, but it's not anything that's set in stone. Um, especially at the beginning, you know, if I'm doing production and I've already figured all this stuff out, then, mm-hmm. um, even in those cases, I, le- I put a little bit extra on. Yeah. So you can either do that experimentation at the beginning when everything is tied up. And I just, mm-hmm. I load a whole bunch of bobbins, which are, um, these spools that hold the weft thread. Mm-hmm. And I try out a bunch of different colors and I try out different colors next to each other. And I try out different patterns, different treadling, until I find something that I want and, and then I move forward with making the piece. So, which is a really interesting way to, and and I think a lot of weavers do this. I'm not unique in this at all, but, um, it's an interesting way to move forward because like I said before, there's so many parameters that are already set up for you, Mm -hmm. which is awesome because Mm
3: -hmm.
0: creative people work really well within limitations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that, that cuts a whole bunch of stuff down. You know, like I get another idea of something that would work differently within these, like write it down. It's, it's for later. I always get another <laughs> idea as I'm working, but right now I have this one loom, you know, I have a couple right. looms, but I only have one project on a loom. And so I have to, I have to make it work. And, mm-hmm. um. and so playing with the weft and with the pattern is a way that That I can do that and still work intuitively or allow myself the opportunity to be surprised, which Mm -hmm. also plays back into like my color work. Like I'm always looking for the opportunity to be surprised.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, I love that.
3: Yeah. I like that too. (laughs) That's good. So which of your pieces are you most proud of and why? I have a
0: couple that that really stand out um and i'm proud of them for really different reasons and and they feel successful for really different reasons a couple of years ago maybe more than that i set out to weave this colonial coverlet um and that is like a multi-panel blanket a decorative blanket that you would put over your bed um it's woven with and it's the same thing we were just talking about there's um a supplemental weft on it it's the weave structure is, is called overshot that i was using and so you have a plain weave and then an overshot and you can create these incredible patterns um like i was talk- referring before to like working totally on this grid but with the right tinkering you can get it to look like um there's curves in it and circles. And, and if you, but if you close up, it's just all these little blocks that are overlapping at just Mm -hmm. the right, like pixels. Mm -hmm. And, and so I set out to weave a queen size coverlet. Um, Most of these coverlets were made with um, looms that were not really that wide. So the width of your loom, is your limiting factor for how wide you can make a piece. Mm -hmm. And so if you want something wider, an option is to weave two panels of that size and then sew them together. And I wanted to make a really big one um, and I wanted there to be a border on either side. So I ended up putting a ton of warp on and then I wove the first two panels. So my edge panels first and I wove two of those and I cut them off the loom and then I re-threaded it to weave the middle panel because the middle panel doesn't have a border.
2: Oh, dang. Yeah.
0: And then I (laughs) wove, and then I wove that border. Um, and then hand stitched it all together and hand hemmed it as well. Wow. Wow. And yeah, and it's, I, I am really proud of all of the work that I put into it. And I think it really helped challenge me um, in doing a lot of planning. It helped teach me a lot of history about what it was like to weave these coverlets um, and the beauty of having to work within that limitation of having a loom. That's not quite wide enough, but mm. then you get this gorgeous handwork and I love looking at old coverlets because the other thing that you really have to be careful with is, Because you want, it's this massive pattern that's repeating and you want it to match up when you weave these, or when you sew these three panels together. You have to be really careful as you're weaving it and kind of keep place to make sure that once you get these two separate cloths together, they're going to match. And the pattern that is in the split between the two is going to read as one pattern. Oh Yeah. and so, yeah, that that just, it took a lot of work and a lot of concentration. Yeah. And I, I like the product. I'm, you know, the first time you do anything, you're like, well, the next time is going to be a lot better. Like, <laughs> would it change this and this thing? And like, interesting how that worked out. Um,
2: Has there so been a that, next time yet?
0: There hasn't been a next time yet, but I think <laughs> there will be. There will be. And I cool. will, I will move forward with a little less, uh, <laughs> like caution and reverence. The other thing that I really love about looking at all of these older coverlets is like, there's all kinds of mistakes in them and the Mm -hmm. patterns don't always match up and it's just fine. You know, I think that like (laughs) we, it's an interesting thing about weaving now, how precious we treat it. And it is like precious because it's special, Mm -hmm. but I also really appreciate, you know, like what all of our crafts were like in a time where it was just, utilitarian like i mean of course there's like decorative aspects to everything that we make but like we also just needed to make the stuff because Mm -hmm. like i'm cold and it's gonna be winter soon (laughs) right right right. so i can't i can't go crazy with being super precious about it and and that's what i love most now is like seeing those old coverlets that it doesn't really match up and they're like (laughs) (laughs) you know it's gonna work and it's pretty enough yeah (laughs) yeah so so that was that was one that I feel really proud of. And then I also last year I woke these towels. They're called bright towels. Um, because they have a lot of bright colors in them. I did two different <laughs> colorways. And it was during like the madness of the 2020 holiday season, um, mm-hmm. where we were just like making a lot of things and then taking all of our own pictures and getting them up online for all the online shopping that was happening because we weren't seeing anybody in person and Mm -hmm. um I got a little burnt out and I wasn't really sure what I was making and I just started like sketching and doing all these color wrappings um which there is when you take yarn and wrap it around like a a white piece of paper and it's a plan for warps and they were they were just really fun and I love, there's like three kinds of texture in them. Well, there's two kinds of like physical texture. There's this plain weave and it's really smooth. And there's quieter moments where it's just beige on beige. And then there's this more like optical texture that happens Mm -hmm. when you have this combination of this pink and orange that are sitting next to each other Mm -hmm. and they're slightly different values. So one is slightly darker and one is slightly lighter. And it creates this like interesting textural vibration just in like optically a vibration as your Mm -hmm. brain is trying to work that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I always think of it as like, when you look at um, like pavement or gravel, you know, it's all kind of gray or black but there are some lighter moments. Like, you know that there's texture there, but it kind of looks smooth. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think with the...
2: And your brain's just like, I can't handle that right now. Like, we're Uh, just going to call it dark gray.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And it's just because of that, like, slight value differentiation. Uh Um, And then then I had these lace blocks, which actually stand up a little bit more and are a bit more textural. And I think that that really... Like, sometimes I... I feel like you're, you're visited by the muses where they're just like, I, I don't know they, they,
2: it hits you. It hits you. Yeah. <laughs> like
0: I hadn't been thinking about it before. It just hit me. And I was like, well, now I have to make these. <laughs> like Now I have to pause everything else and like put this warp on. Um, yeah. And the power of those moments. And I think that really, they were really well received and I felt really excited about them. And, um, it again was the like next bit of motivation in the color conundrum of my weaving life of like, what can happen? (laughs) Like, wow, look at this thing that happened. Cool.
2: That's really neat. So it was one of those moments where you could just really point to those like two pieces and, and show that that like marked and like a really big step forward in a direction you've been sort of headed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, gave me more to to search for. <laughs>
2: Ooh. It's like satisfying, but also leaves you just like, just a little taste of like what the next one's going to be like.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's what weaving is like because you you put this warp on and it's very different from painting where I had like multiple canvases going on in the studio and I got stuck on one and I can jump over here or you know Mm -hmm. this one isn't working out like paint over the whole thing who cares you know it was a bowl of fruit now it's a portrait like (laughs) you can really totally start over but when you're weaving it's like this is what I'm doing right now and Mm -hmm. I have to finish this before I move on to the next thing which means that as you're weaving the one thing you're just bouncing around a million ideas of what's coming next and that's always really exciting to to finish something and be like now I get to do this
4: yeah
2: that's super cool yeah it's like you're already getting to plan the next one because it takes so long to do the current one. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah
3: <laughs> oh so um this might be kind of related to what we're talking about already but uh, have you had any personal transformations through weaving has it taught you anything about yourself um when i was when i was painting i
0: worked very similarly to how i was describing I- I had a lot going on at once and, um, I worked really organically. And when you're taught to paint, you're taught to work all around a canvas, you know, don't, don't spend a ton of time in the bottom left corner without addressing the top right corner, because then Mm. those things will not relate to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's, it's just really different than weaving, which is like, you have to make this commitment to what you're doing, and mm-hmm. there was a lot that I that I learned about myself. Like I love the the math, and I love the parameters, and it's all really simple math. Like <laughs> it's all really simple. When I teach beginning <laughs> weaving classes, one of my students said, "You should rename this knots and math, like <laughs> not in instruction <laughs> weaving, just knots and math, because there's like all these little slip knots that you do, which I." Not everybody ties knots all the time, so it can be intimidating. <laughs> but <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed working within those parameters and seeing what I could push. And there's also this like kind of a breath of relief. when With painting, I just felt like my mind was always so active because, as I mentioned, at any moment, I could totally change course. Mm-hmm. and I didn't really have to commit to anything I mean in every discipline there is a level of commitment that you have to totally work mm-hmm. through you're like oh this part kind of sucks but I have to keep doing it mm-hmm. so that I can get to this next thing mm-hmm. um and so yeah just to having to having to commit to something mm-hmm. um and then in learning this which like I said I painted for a really long time and then I was weaving and like I had to commit to learn weaving and to get better at it and to try mm-hmm. new things. And I I read recently that the, you know, there's this like kind of model in the way that we learn things and you start and you're like, Oh my God, there is so much to learn. And I don't know any of it. And <laughs> then you get a little bit farther and you're like, Oh, I totally get all this. Yeah. Like, totally. a little <laughs> bit and yeah. like I got this. And yeah. then you get a little farther from that and you, revert back and you're like oh now I see how much there more there is to learn because I'm like a bit farther into it and that's really this the question point of like do I move forward or Mm. do I stay here or do I move on to something else because there, the difference between especially as people who are craftspeople or artists or like have visions of what they want their work to look like the difference between your ability to do that and your vision like all of the work is just about closing that gap which <laughs> takes a ton of work and commitment
4: mm.
0: and i was working another job and i i was getting i was doing sales and i was getting commissions and i had to start waking up really early in the morning and weaving like i'd wake up at 5 a.m and and make some coffee and sit down in my loom and weave because i knew that that was just this chunk of time that i had and i knew that nothing was going to get me further if i didn't reserve some time every day right just to weave Mm -hmm. because it is really linear and like one weft on top of another one (laughs) Like I remember in college, we would like finish the painting, you know, three in the morning and install it at 8am the next day. And you're like, it's done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch it.
0: Don't mind that it's very wet. It's totally done. This is exactly yeah. as far as I wanted to get on it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just a little different. So yeah, that commitment and like a lot of self-trust in, in what you're doing and in the process on this machine that is like constantly just advancing whatever you've, done you know whatever I've just woven eventually I'm going to need more warp and that comes forward from the back Mm. and so then I have to advance what I've just done and it starts wrapping around the cloth beam so I'm only ever looking at like 12 inches at a time before Mm. it goes over my front beam and starts Mm. wrapping around and it's really easy in those moments when you don't see this whole picture to look at it and be like oh that's not working like something isn't right here. Or like, is this going to work once it's in repetition? And and you just need to, I, yeah, I just need to work through that. And usually when it comes off the loom and I see it all together, it makes a lot of sense, but I don't always see it when I'm weaving and I've gotten better at having that self-trust, having that trust that what I've planned is probably going to work or maybe more accurately that I can't, I can't analyze and create at the same time, which is one of Corita Kent's rules. I don't know if you know those 10 no, rules No, but for I making really art.
2: like that. I yeah. really like that.
0: It's, they, I, I am like way late on the bandwagon and only learned about her a couple of years ago.
2: <laughs> Not as late as me. I'm just starting yeah.
0: Yeah. Was like, <laughs> what's her name again? That's true. Corita <laughs> Kent. Yeah, she's, um, she taught at the, she was an art teacher and um, a printmaker and she was just incredible, like lived this really, really creative life. And she came up with these 10 rules um, for her students in the class, which just are applicable to everyone making anything anywhere. And one of them is um, don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They're different processes. Huh. So driving yourself crazy as you're like in it and making it, wondering if it's working like that serves no one and nothing like just do the creation part and then for me take it off the loom look at it all together and decide what works and what doesn't and once I as I'm getting better at that then it makes the whole process a lot easier I'm like well I'm just I'm just creating the thing right now like if I change course in the middle I've gained no new information because I don't know if the thing that I set out to make works
4: our next guest doesn't hate throwing plates but you would be remiss to throw one of her plates think about throwing a wet ball of clay on a wheel for 10 minutes but i mean with your arm like a single 10-minute softball toss onto a wheel and i mean a rubber tire just plop okay now that that image has been tossed into your mind If you ever catch yourself about to ask a potter how long it takes to throw a plate on a wheel, consider that image. I'm trying to save you from asking the question because the throw is only the start of whatever pottery is getting made and isn't indicative of the finished product you see before you when you're curious about the intersection of labor's value and an item's cost. Also, before this upcoming episode, that image was about as much as I knew about the process of pottery. Danielle Chutintaranan is a potter who isn't as worried as you are about the risks of use and the potential drop of one of the many wares she hopes get worn by good food and adorned on a dinner table. Her relationship with her creations interacts with their possibilities of utilization and sometimes even have their inception from an idea about how they could interact with other things, often food. As you'll hear. That relationship connects to the direction of the use of the human body in the midst of the creation of something that can be used to help nourish the human body inside and out. Please join us next time for an inspiring take on how we are and interact with the material world.
2: I also really like what uh, how you reference those sort of three stages of approaching, I guess, lifelong learning, or when you're starting something new. Mm you know, when you know, when you're just like, Oh my God, I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then like,
3: and then you're like, I know everything.
2: Yeah. With like, <laughs> with like that overconfidence though, that kind of comes at, you know, after like a year of do- a year or two of doing something. Yeah. I wonder if that's because like you, people need that sense of like, okay, I got my foot in the door. Like I knew nothing before, but now I got something. And mm-hmm. then, as oh, absolutely. That, you know, then you can dip your toes back into the world of uncertainty and future learning because you just, you need that time to like feel safe with the new thing you just acquired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I
0: think it is very self-serving. Like
2: yeah, it totally,
1: helps,
0: it helps you stick with it because <laughs> part of it makes sense to you, you know, and mm-hmm. we need to, there needs to be ease in some part of the process for us to keep doing
3: it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's like the with the flow, like um, Mihai, cheeks at Mihai. The uh, I think he was, the yeah, Hungarian psychologist. Yep. Where he said it's you have to have, like, kind of attainable goals, like something that pushes you just enough that you, with some practice and effort and like skill building, you can attainment or attain mm-hmm. it. But then, you know that that's what flow is where it's like I have this like achievable goal that is going to take me some time to figure out but I can get there um and that's kind of what you're describing but in like a larger like personal sense of of you know starting out with something you you think you you can achieve and then you do (laughs) (laughs) and then like the cycle that sort of follows from that and the learning involved of like okay yeah I've learned this thing but there's Let's uh, uh, retain some perspective on my ability and where I'm going and that sort of stuff. It's really interesting.
2: And it's like time to go back and delete all of the posts where you wrote all of those things from (laughs) years one through three.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like I thought Um, I knew it all. Yeah. You know, and I think that's an interesting thing about craft too is that like we represent such a, unfortunately, smaller part of the population that knows how to do a lot of these things like we're carrying Mm -hmm. on these traditions and so i think a lot of it is external too because people look at you and they're like oh my god you made that like wow you're a genius you know how to do that (laughs) and so you can get kind of like puffed up in your
3: britches (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, you're like yeah i do
0: like i'm pretty awesome i Uh, am amazing (laughs)
3: thanks for noticing." yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so funny (laughs) Uh, so this is a perfect segue into the next question. Uh, what about weaving satisfies you?
2: <laughs> besides knowing all of it. Yeah,
3: besides yeah, knowing being, everything.
0: Being an expert. <laughs> um, I'm absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I mentioned it a few times, so I won't go into it too much, but I love the creativity within the parameters. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that That gives me a lot of momentum, Mm. um, to, to work iteratively and, um, to yeah, take what I know and see how I can combine it in other, in other senses. So I love that. And I really, I love the process. Like I love setting up the loom, which is such Mm. an important and totally invisible step. Once you are looking at the cloth itself. Um, and, and it's, honestly my favorite part like setting up the loom planning the project and setting up the loom and then like weaving the first little bit hmm.
2: is it just like all anticipation yes Ooh. yeah
0: yeah and and what i like is when i'm weaving i'm just weaving like i am just doing the same thing over and over again ad nauseum until the warp is off and <laughs> <laughs> sorry it's like not that romantic There's a lot of romance about it, but it's, it's just work at that point. Like Mm -hmm. I've already, I've seen the magic of like, wow, the idea coming to life. But then the next bit of that magic is when I take it all off the loom and can see it in full.
2: Right. Um,
0: But the, yeah, the warping is really repetitive and there's a lot of steps. And so it's satisfying in that you're, you're making progress towards something, Um, Like I can't do A until I do B and I can't do B until I do C. So you're always moving forward on this trajectory. And, uh, and I really like that. It also takes skill. And that's Mm -hmm. something that I've learned over time as well. Um, At the beginning, it was like, oh my God, the warping, like just get it done so that I can get to the weaving part, which is fun. Like this is just boring and monotonous. But once I, started to see how it all interacts, like how well Mm -hmm. I dress the loom and wind my warp is going to affect how well my weaving goes. You know, Mm -hmm. and and if my tension is right, and and working with different materials, like working with linen as opposed to wool, where wool has a, it's just a very forgiving material because it has a lot of stretch and it will like push and pull. And then you work with linen and it has almost no stretch. And so you just have to treat it really differently. um, yeah, that's, I, I just, I love dressing the loom. People always think I'm crazy, but (laughs) it's a good, it's it's like the process part of it. Um, and I really like that, but what are, let's see. So those are, what I like about weaving and then the challenges I, it's, you know, it's similar to the satisfying part. Like the challenges are that it's really linear and that, Mm. There are limitations, and (laughs) (laughs) I love it's like like what you love about it.
2: Yeah, totally,
0: absolutely, yeah, Yeah. and um, it's kind of it's hard to go backwards. It's not impossible, but it it involves many steps. um, If you make a mistake, or um, if something isn't going quite as you wanted, like they're all fixable mistakes, but they all they all take a little work to get there. um yeah so i don't have a lot to say about the challenges just it's it's
2: what about like the challenges in in like a a broader sense as a field Mm -hmm. um there's there's always within the craft community and i'm sure with many things that Uh, kind of grass is always greener syndrome where you're like oh I mean if I was a if I was a blacksmith or a metalsmith that would be you know the jam because it's so easy and everybody loves like hand forged cutlery or whatever and then you talk to a knife maker and they're like oh if only I was a woodworker yeah yeah. (laughs) oh yeah so what are some of the myths about weaving we can dispel
0: Yeah, I often think, like, if I was a jeweler and I just made earrings, like, they would sell, like, (laughs) hotcakes. People love earrings. (laughs) Um, I, well, like, one really obvious thing is that, and I suppose in all crafts, there's a little bit of this, but in fiber arts, the the buy-in for weaving, for floor loom weaving, is really expensive.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It requires you to, It's is expensive on a couple levels, it requires you to purchase a loom, which most people buy used looms. And so that really cuts the price down quite a bit. But also then you have to have the space for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It has to be able to fit in your home. And the footprint of a loom is not just the footprint, the physical footprint, because you have to be able to access it from all sides, including the back mm. like you need to be able to get in there and so it needs to be you can't just shove it in a corner like
2: right, you know, right. That it needs
0: to be like in the middle of your living room or something
2: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and so there's that and so that's just that's a major barrier to people who want to get into it um and an interesting thing in teaching classes too because like you come to a place where all that stuff is there and and if you really like it then you got to figure out how to make that work for you. Um, I think another barrier that or another challenge of textiles in general is how seriously people take it. They're really just taken for granted.
3: Hmm. Do you think that's because of industrialization partially? Definitely.
0: Like industrialization is really great for a lot of reasons. And it also has a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like what what does it mean to someone when I sell a towel that is 100% worth like the $64 that I sell it for and people see a towel and they're like, well, I wipe the floor with that. Right. Right? (laughs) Why would I pay that? And and so trying to like imbue a little bit of that um, specialness into the object. Um, And that is, I think, just something that, is really good for people in general in a way that I try to use my life. Like how do we, or try to purchase things in my life and and live my life is like, I want, I want to be surrounded by things that are um, important to me Mm -hmm. and things that I can see the maker's hand in. And because things are special to me, I take good care of them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's a big reason, especially with textiles that like, there's so much throwaway stuff is, we're producing cloth with tons of synthetic materials and, and then we like wash things and dry things. Drying is the worst, like to oblivion. Uh, No (laughs) lint, no lint in your dryers coming from the washing process. It's all from like the high heat that we blast it with after, after we do the washing. So yeah, that's, that's just, so that's something that I really look at and like, I try to purchase less and purchase better and like do that within certain levels of privilege, of course. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, living that way really it just gives me a a better appreciation of all the things that I have around me and a better like Glenn Adamson talks about material intelligence, mm-hmm. like the the way that we can exist in the world when we look around or able to look around and understand how something is made and just the appreciation and the gratitude that we have for um, that material and like the skill of the maker and all these people from way back one that figured all this stuff out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, trying to, I think everybody who does any kind of craft or art will say this, but the education part of like, why what you do is different and why it matters right. for a lot of people that really don't know a lot about the process.
3: Um, mm-hmm. Or at least don't even have context. Like, mm-hmm. or it, like I, I'm i just ref, uh, reflecting on some, like, in the past, maybe 100 years ago, I would say, when someone got married what like when a woman got married or something she would come with a a chest full of like linens yeah and those those are like very expensive very valuable assets to bring to whatever the arrangement is your economic you know marriage arrangement with Mm -hmm. this person and it was something that she had probably worked on up until she got married it was like okay, preparing all this stuff for this time when I'm going to be living in a, in a different house away from the resources that are available to me now. Yeah. And, and it's, I, I think there are even accounts of people leaving textiles to like in their will to someone you know it's like Mm -hmm. so and so gets the tablecloth or something like that yes you don't will someone a plastic fork you know what i mean it's like (laughs) you you will them something that's very not
0: unless you really don't like them yeah yeah unless it's like
3: (laughs) like a a, a big middle finger to them or something um but i mean that's it's just a a personal reflection of mine to think about like, okay, yeah, that this, this part of our lives where we, we take something to like clothe ourselves that was held in high esteem because of the amount of time it took to make and process and how involved you were in the process. Um, and we've become disconnected from all of that, uh, by outsourcing labor to cheaper to people who you know don't maybe don't have a choice (laughs) yeah Uh, Yeah. and and now we have all these like super cheap crappy clothes so you wash them twice and there's a big hole in it Mm -hmm. so i feel very strongly about textiles (laughs) 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 Uh, yeah
0: yeah and i remember i mean and like you said about the the context like
3: Mm -hmm.
0: that's so true i i remember getting this piece when i was in college and It was a wall hanging and I was like, I'm really enamored with it. But I remember talking to people and being like, I don't, is, is it woven? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I didn't even have like the, the, the clues in which Uh to understand what, how that was made. And Mm -hmm. I think about Mm -hmm. that now and it's so funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember showing it to people and being like, what is it?
4: (laughs) But
2: what was it? Uh, it was woven yeah uh, yeah it was totally woven Uh, that's so funny
3: so are there any other weavers that you admire this is
0: a really great kind of like re contemporary resurgence of weavers in um, in and around Stockholm in Sweden which just has this incredible weaving tradition and uh, is yeah is a living tradition too like Mm -hmm no big breaks in it as Mm -hmm. as far as I know um but folks that that are working really hard to keep weaving relevant and doing it in a lot of different ways doing it through fine art and utilitarian textiles um like Ariana Funk who actually is American and now lives in Stockholm she does uh a lot of utilitarian stuff Miriam Parkman is another weaver I think their group is called Studio Super Shoe, but it's Swedish and might not be perfect pronunciation. Um, and yeah. And, or they're doing pop-ups and like old spots in the mall and just getting weaving in front of people, which is mm-hmm. really exciting to me. Um,
2: That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. and their designs are incredible and it's, it's been fun to watch them and the work that they do. Um who else. Amber Jensen who is was in North Carolina and now she's living in Minneapolis, but I'm really inspired by the the woven work that she's doing and she's playing a lot with proportions as well like these old overshot patterns, this canon and what happens when you like blow it up and instead of supplementary weft being a piece of yarn like what if it's a strip of felt and how does that change things? <laughs> and then she's making all kinds of objects um like backpacks and bags and she's a really incredible artist and has a great sense of color and design and i've looked up to her for a really long time and just love to see whatever she's working on um and then there's like the fine more fine art weavers like carolina jimenez has most of her work is wall pieces, and she has an incredible, again, use of color and this, like, tactile nature. Her work really reminds me of flowing water. Um, Mm. She works with a lot of shinier or, like, materials that have luster, and they're just, Mm -hmm. like, really gorgeous emotional pieces, and coming from a fine arts background, I love to see that kind of work as well, Um, and what we're able to do now in the weaving world and like what people before us have fought for, you know, like Annie Albers and um, mm-hmm. people during the studio craft movement, fiber artists specifically, like Lenore Taney, women who stood up and were like, no, this is just as important in like the craft world as the ceramics and wood mm-hmm. and all of that. And we're making art and it can just exist on its own. Like it doesn't need to have utilitarian function for it to be important and impactful. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think people get that a lot more now, but it, it was a struggle. Mm-hmm.
3: Dang,
2: um, I can't wait to look at all these people's work. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, put them all up, yes. support them,
3: love well, them. It's, it's interesting too, because I, I read a lot about like prehistoric textiles and sort of how that has moved, you know, through prehistory into the present. And Mm. so it's interesting because the attitude in archaeology has changed around textiles too, because it used to be like, you know, they would have a, I don't know, a piece of ceramic or something like wrapped in a textile as they found it in the dirt, you know, as an example. (laughs) And, and they'd be like, Oh, they would like rip off the textile and throw it in the rubbish heap and like <laughs> look at the look at the ceramics and be like, oh, isn't this amazing? You know? And it's like, hold on just a second. Like,
2: yeah. This is
3: this this textile is part of material culture too. And you learn a lot about the people who made it by studying the textile and how it's woven and the the fibers involved and stuff. And oh, there absolutely. A lot. And like how yeah. special
0: to have that textile exist. I mean, that's I, another yeah unfortunate thing about the world of textiles is like they don't last
3: yeah they don't last in the same
0: way a lot of other stuff does
3: yeah so anyway i just thought it made me think of that and i was like oh yes rip through that shroud and like (laughs) (gasps) reveal the gold underneath (laughs)
2: Uh,
3: so uh is there anyone outside of weaving that uh you admire
0: i i mean i still get a lot of inspiration from Paintings and painters, uh, you know, historically, like, color field artists like Mark Mm -hmm. Rathko, Mm -hmm. uh, Helen Frankenthaler. I love the work that they do and their comfort with just letting the colors exist as they are and Mm. for them to, for the colors to have meaning um, without anything kind of obvious or implied in addition. Yeah, I think it was Helen Frankenthaler who said that all colors work together, it just matters the proportion, and that's not a direct quote, but um, an idea of hers and I love that because I think it that's like another thing that kind of pushes me and challenges me. Like how can I make these two colors work?
2: Um that's really <laughs> cool. And so that's kind of speaking about those sorts of notions within like color theory and such where they're like, no, these three colors go together because they're located here on the color wheel. And that sort of throws that to the wind to an extent. And it's like, well, actually if you put any two of those together in the right way, it'll work.
0: Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like there's all these preconceived ideas and rules that we have about color, but Mm -hmm. um, I think we're also, we're learning a lot more and and yeah, I hope to be a part of that and understanding what colors can do and and how they can interact with each other because it's all about the interaction. Currently, Jessica Poundstone is a contemporary artist who um, makes these color field paintings they're all they're all digital paintings um, and she works in these really great collections of power colors and color clouds and um, is embracing that idea that these colors can exist on their own and and they can make you feel a certain way and so I've loved seeing the work that that she's making and it a lot of her work or some of her work actually reminds me of weave structures and weaving so maybe that's why I like it too
2: (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) No, that's super cool that, uh, especially when you can go into different mediums and then see how they, you can like draw that connection where you're like, oh, this is kind of like weaving. That's why I'm drawn to this to an extent. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. One of my professors once said he was really, I mean, he was just wonderful. And he would like make us look at all of this art from outside of. The painting medium and he would show movies and like he just really believed it's just all the same like once you learn how to talk about one thing you learn how to talk about all of it and
4: Mm.
0: it's so true it's so true and sometimes we kind of box ourselves into these different categories but or feel like we can't um yeah like what right do we have to say or critique or whatever somebody else's work that's outside of our medium because we don't understand it. And there is a Mm -hmm. lot of appreciation that comes from understanding, but like some of the best people to look at your work or to think about your work are people that like don't get it
3: Mm -hmm. and
0: get it in that like I do it too kind of way because they see things really differently. And I think about that with coming from painting and into weaving and like having that be my main craft now is that there's some real advantages there.
2: Totally. I also like that idea as like a, a check... For your own ego to an extent, like when you run, you know, when you run up against someone who just you're working on textiles and you're pouring your heart and soul into weaving and then you meet someone who's just like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I experienced that (laughs) with books and these little tools that I make for books, which is just like another level of nichedom that is so <laughs> absurd <laughs> and uh, and so people are like wait you do what and then i'm just like oh yeah cool like this is just like you know i need to put myself in context here step back a little bit <laughs>
0: yeah it kind of grounds you again <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah grounding that's a good way to put yeah. it yeah
0: <laughs> there's that that phrase like comic for comics
2: yes um, totally yeah think about that with
0: weaving like who's like the weaver for weavers You know, only the weavers are really going to appreciate what's going on here. But Mm, I want to make work that that all people can dig into in some form.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. nice. Yeah, it's like the accessibility, like there's multiple points of access.
3: Mm -hmm. I like that. So what inspires you outside of your craft? Probably mostly music.
0: Um, Mm. I listen to a ton of music. When I'm weaving, especially, um, I find that I kind of like move at different rates, depending on the
2: <laughs> music I'm listening to. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I I recently got into the podcast Song Exploder, which is another thing that I'm like way late to the game on. Have you guys listened to Song no. Exploder? No. I have not. I'm always low We're low terrible.
2: We're terrible podcast consumers.
0: <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we just
0: make them... <laughs> Yeah, within like the past four months, I discovered it. And I'm pretty sure they've been doing it since 2015. So getting (laughs) at another thing that I did not discover, but I'm going to talk about now. It's a podcast where an artist talks about, an artist and often like the producer too of the music talks about the the process of making a song. Hmm. And I, I think what, part of what really inspires me is that a lot of what I do, and I think a lot of us do, artist crafts people, like we work really solitary and isolated. Mm-hmm. And it's totally. like us and our tools and our materials. Um, but with music, it it has the ability and often is like really collaborative. Mm-hmm. And I, as you know, the, the artist might have this idea, but it only comes to life really within a lot of other people's ideas about it um and that's what i love loved like the producers coming in and talking about it so they just break down the whole song and like you know talk about maybe what this lyric means or what they were going through writing the song or like I decided to bring the drums and the cymbals in here because like of the way that it punctuates this thing or makes you pay attention and like all of these little things that mm-hmm. um as somebody who my parents are musicians and so I have a lot of respect for music but it's not my thing and so I don't see it always or hear it, <laughs> hear it <laughs> in the music um but it, yeah I like the way that they talk about it because of what we were just talking about like when it's not your thing there's parts that you miss totally mm. and and music is something that like, feels really universal to me. Like, we put music out into the world because um, because it needs to be there and because it can, like, accentuate these times in our life. And so it's, it's helped me think about, like, what I'm doing and also... It's also helped me think about how I can bring more collaboration into my work. And it doesn't need to be, like, an actual collaborative thing, like me and this other artist made this together, but, like, how does having relationships with other artists and and craftspeople and weavers help me
2: um yeah like how does that your interactions with them and your relationships with them trickle into and manifest themselves within your finished pieces Mm
0: -hmm. right right and just a little a little food for thought like how can we how can we all be a little bit better at doing that
2: yeah and yeah because it's I mean it's obviously to some extent happening all the time, whether or not you're thinking about it, but how does like the knowledge of that sort of reality affect it going forward? Mm -hmm. I'm going to think about that while I'm trying to carve this little badger today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to even, I think, uh, adjust that a little bit, like how do we have intentional relationships and conversation? Yeah, Because I think we all are kind of in conversation with each other. If we are like, using the internet or following Mm -hmm. someone on social media. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, it's happens to all of us where I like have this idea or I start making something and I'm like, Oh, interesting. (laughs) This looks a whole lot like this thing that I recently saw, you know, and I didn't try to do that, but, um, so I'm having like a secret conversation, like my subconscious.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. So like, how can we, how can we do it in a more intentional way?
2: Hmm. yeah
3: uh so christine if someone wants to see more of your work where can they find you
0: uh i have so my business name is can goods c-a-n goods which are my <laughs> initials my name is christine ann Novotny. Mm. so that was kind of fun yeah i like that and my website is can-goods.com and I have some work for sale and um, events and a gallery of past work on there. So my website, mm-hmm. I'm on social media at Christine Novotny, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-N-O-V-O-T-N-Y. <laughs> um, and like to put finished work in a lot of process shots. That's what I think is most exciting about social media is the the process. And mm-hmm. yeah, letting people peek into What's behind the finished product? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I also teach classes. I'm currently a resident artisan at North House Folk School, which is a two-year residency to support and promote emerging craftspeople. And I teach classes there. And if you're ever in Grand Marais, Minnesota and want a studio tour, then get a hold of me.
2: Right on. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit about your life and work.
0: Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much.
2: Well, thanks so much for joining us for this conversation and also to everyone who has supported the show, whether financially or otherwise. A special thanks in particular to Harriet, Matt, and Amy for joining us on Patreon. Woohoo!
3: <laughs> <laughs> Every contribution matters, both for helping us grow the podcast and raising money for craft scholarships. Also, thank you to our sponsors, North House Folk School in Minnesota and John C. Campbell Folk School in Brasstown, North Carolina. And a free way to support the show is to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us, and we really appreciate the feedback.
2: If you'd like to see more images of guest work or stay up to date on other happenings, such as the class giveaway we did with John C. Campbell Folk School, congrats Whoop. again to the winner, <laughs> please follow us on Instagram at CutTheCraftPodcast. Also, if you want to see more of our work, both of our accounts are linked in the bio of the podcast page.
3: You can also email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or guest recommendations for the show, or even if you just want to say hi. Hello.
2: Hello. I don't know why I always feel the need to say hi after you, after oh, you say that.
3: That's because I prompted <laughs> <Hi>. you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true. You just want to say hi. And then I'm like, yes, I do want to just say
3: hi. <laughs> I just want to say hi.
2: Anyway, um, and as always, a huge thanks to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for your tunes and your help with production, and to Justin Williams for writing those poetic tidbits introducing our upcoming guests. Coming up next, we have an interview with Potter Danielle Chutintoranand. So to get a little glimpse into our conversation, here is a clip from the interview. Thanks again for joining us.
3: See you next time.
1: I just feel like that process of cooking and preparing food feeds into how I make pottery and approach clay. And, um, yeah, it just it's not it's not separated for me. Um, But, yeah, I grew up in a restaurant and um, like I started working in the back of the house pretty young. Um, I remember I was like really small and they would have these like bushel, um, boxes of Thai basil and I would have to separate the rotten pieces (laughs) from the good pieces. And that was like my first job. And I just remember this whole, there was this period of time when I was really young where I was just like, so when can I cut things? When can I use (laughs) the knife? (laughs) I was like please I just want to use the knife. I was like oh you're too so young funny. to use the knife. And I was like I just want it. But yeah, now like my studio is just full of knives. <laughs> <laughs>